The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you today, I would ask you to open them up with me to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon, we call it a book. It's really just a very short letter that comes to us in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul to a personal friend by the name of Philemon. I'd like to pray and ask God to speak to us from our text today. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 16. Let's ask the Lord just to minister to our hearts from these passages. God, we do thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Just as Tony's saying, our hearts are longing for you, Lord. We, we need you today. And Lord, we would ask that you would now speak to our hearts from your word. We would like to hear, Lord, from heaven today. So give us ears to hear, open hearts to receive. And Lord, by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, enable me, Lord, to, to, to share those truths from your scripture, words that would minister deep into the heart and bear fruit for your kingdom. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Entitled today's message, For Love's Sake, For Love's Sake, it speaks to us of motive. You know, there's a lot of different motivations for things that we do. Some things we do purely out of selfish motivation. Some things we do out of necessity. Some things we do, let's be honest, out of vanity. I was out pretending to jog the other day, and it definitely wasn't for love's sake. It was trying to make sure I could still fit into my clothes through this holiday season. And I want to share with you the blessing of expandable waists that now they sell in these slacks that I'm wearing. Definitely something inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what's the highest motivation for things that we do, decisions that we make? Why do we care about certain things so intensely? Why, why should we do certain things that at times are difficult or even hard? Well, for love's sake. For love's sake. Think of God's example. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was for love that he came. It was for love that we celebrate this Christmas season. It was for love that Jesus came to the earth to ultimately die on a cross for the sins of men and to raise from the dead to offer salvation and eternal life. Why? Why would he do such a thing? For love's sake. And this is the highest and most purest of motives The Apostle Paul describes love for us in 1 Corinthians 13. You know this passage. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's the highest motivation for anything that we might do. I I like the way the NIV translates verse 5 from that chapter I just read. The New King James says that love is not provoked. It thinks no evil. The NIV says love is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Important to keep this motivation of love as we work through Paul's letter here. Because love is the reason and motive that he writes this appeal to his friend Philemon. And love is the motivation for the reconciliation that Paul is appealing to Philemon to offer. Let's remember our setting here. This is a personal letter to a friend. Philemon is a man who Paul in some ways met and brought to faith. We assume most likely it was during his ministry in the city of Ephesus. He was there for a number of years. It was the place that Paul spent longer than any other city as he was on his missionary tours, sharing the gospel, planting churches. And this man Philemon who came through Ephesus, heard the gospel, received Christ, but then would go back to his hometown, the city of Colossae, and he would find others. It was not just Philemon, Epaphras. There are others that we see mentioned in the New Testament that found fellowship, found salvation through Paul's ministry at Ephesus, but then the church and the fellowship started back in their hometown where they lived in Colossae. And the occasion for this letter is while Paul is actually imprisoned in Rome, Paul is awaiting his trial, and we know from the book of Acts that he was there for some time. Now, he wasn't down in the dungeon, so he wasn't suffering in the, in the dungeon, although later we, we see when he writes Second Timothy, in fact, he would be arrested again, and it would be a much less comfortable circumstance. But we see in the book of Acts that he was there in a house arrest situation, able to receive and send out visitors. Now, it wasn't the Hilton, believe me. He was still in prison. He was chained to Roman guards. He had no personal freedom to come and go, but he was allowed visitors. And during this time in Rome, people were able to come, and he was able to share, and he was able to send men out with letters, and he wrote letters while his, during his time there. And one of the letters that he writes is to the church in Colossae. He's never been to that church, but as I mentioned, he's active in that church because people that were saved through his ministry actually went back and fellowshiped there. But he writes not only to the church at Colossae, he writes to one of the individual friends within that church at Colossae. His name is Philemon. And he's going to send this letter with a couple of men, one by the name of Tychicus and the other the name of Onesimus. We're going to get introduced in the letter here today to Onesimus, and this is really the the intimate part of the letter. Onesimus, as we're going to discover, was a prior slave serving as a servant in the household of Philemon. We don't know the details, but in some way we can see through the letter that Onesimus has injured Philemon. He's done something. He's wronged him in some way. Maybe he's stolen something. Maybe some offense while he was there serving under the household of Philemon. And as a result, he's run away. He is a runaway. He's a renegade from the law. In that culture, uh, this was punishable even by death. And so he's run away from Philemon's household And wouldn't you know it, in his effort to find a new beginning, he's in the large city of Rome, a place where he might be able to start over. Somehow, by God's sovereign hand, he finds his way to visit the Apostle Paul while in prison. And he comes to faith. Paul shares the gospel, and he gets saved. Come to find out, Paul knows 
his owner and is a friend of Paul's, Philemon. Only the Lord could orchestrate this kind of a divine coincidence, right? But we see now, as we study the letter, that we get a glimpse into the very inner workings of relationship and and restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness. Paul is going to write of these things. And all of it is for the sake of love, for love's sake. Take a look with me now. Pick it up in verse 7. We'll kind of break this into two sections. First, Paul gives his motive for his appeal, and then we'll look at the appeal itself, and it's an appeal for reconciliation. Verse seven, for we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. For love's sake. Paul commends Philemon. He says, you know, the word has gotten back to me, Philemon, and it's given me great joy and comfort about your love. I'm hearing how much you love the saints and how they've been refreshed by you. We saw last week Paul's greeting, Paul's prayer for this, this household, that he was actually hosting the fellowship there in his home and was a man of hospitality, a man really committed to the faith and committed to the believers in his city. Paul is encouraged by that, and it's on that he transitions to his appeal. It's because of this love that, that's already evidenced in your life, I want to make an appeal to you. And he says, though I might be very bold in Christ to command uh, you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. So even in Paul's writing, we see something of love and how it manifests. Love sets its rights aside and rather appeals in a gracious and loving, inviting way. Paul says, look, I, I could be just you know, the apostle Paul here. Yeah, we're friends, but I am the apostle. God has given me a spiritual leadership and voice and, you know, authority in the churches. And I could just say, Philemon, you need to get this worked out with Onesimus and you guys need to resolve this because that's just the way it needs to be. He said, I could have done that, but rather for love's sake, I thought just to appeal to you. And it gives us this idea of love. Love love sets its rights aside and walks in a sense of willingness to yield, a sense of willingness to appeal. He had the right in Christ, and he says, for what is fitting. It was a good thing that Paul was asking, and yet he didn't want to impose his authority. He didn't want to demand or command this of, of Philemon, but rather he wanted to appeal in love. And I think there's a good lesson there for all of us as we walk in love. You know, we're very sensitive to our rights, aren't we? And boy, when we are right and we have the right, we really like to walk in authority. But love sometimes is willing to set that aside for the sake of love. Think of Jesus who dwelt in eternal divinity. What does the Bible tell us? That he set his rights aside to become a man that he might come and redeem men. 
the ultimate expression for love's sake in denying and setting aside rights for the sake of love. And we see that Jesus in his loving relationship towards us, he makes an appeal. Think of these passages, Jesus, 11, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A very loving invitation to relationship. John six thirty seven. and to the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. My heart is open, I'm willing for you to come and have relationship with me. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We see God for the sake of love in this inviting, pursuing, appealing relationship that he desires us to come to him and be reconciled. Paul says something else. He says, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know, I could command this, but for love's sake, I want to make this just an appeal. After all, I'm Paul, the aged, and I'm now a true prisoner of Jesus Christ. As if to say, you know, the wisdom of age has taught me some things. Rather than exerting my authority as an apostle, now in my latter years of ministry, I've learned it's better for the sake of love just to make this invitation. Rather than try to force and make it happen, in love, I'm asking. And after all, I belong to him. My authority is only his authority. I belong to Jesus. And so we see this tenderness coming through the apostle Paul. A true friend but also for the sake of love. Philippians tells us that Jesus made himself of no reputation. Also translated, he gave up his divine privileges. Something of Paul recognizing, you know, I'm his prisoner. I need to act like he did. And he laid down his rights. I'm not coming at you, Philemon, with this hard uh, command. Rather, for the sake of love, I want to make this appeal. May we lay down our rights. May we be willing to set our rights aside on occasion for the sake of love. Well, the appeal itself, look with me, verse 10. Here comes this appeal for the sake of love, and it's an appeal for reconciliation. We'll, work, we'll read through it, 10 through 16, and then we'll come back and identify a few things concerning reconciliation. Verse 10 I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel." But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So for love's sake, Paul makes this appeal 
on behalf of Onesimus. We're introduced now to Onesimus. Of course, Philemon knows him. Philemon has had some strong division with him. And Paul now sends him back, but he sends him with this letter, this appeal for reconciliation. A number of things stand out to me I'd like to share with you concerning reconciliation. He says, first of all, Paul, concerning Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, which means that Onesimus has become a Christian while Paul is there in prison. We don't know how their paths crossed, but somehow Onesimus has met Paul and has now come to faith. And Paul says, this changes everything, Philemon. And I would say this about reconciliation. Uh, The first thing, salvation makes reconciliation possible. Salvation, when you have two, a brother and sister, two brothers, when both are saved, no matter what the drama, no matter what the difference, no matter what the difficulty, when both are Christians, reconciliation is possible. It's possible in Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. He was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable both to you and to me. Everything has changed. This is not the same Onesimus that's coming back. Don't receive him in the mindset of what he was before he left. He's coming back in a different spirit. He's coming back really a new creation in Christ. Reconciliation is possible because you now share a faith in Christ that makes you brothers. The, the, the name Onesimus, it actually means helpful. It kind of a little play on words. Helpful is coming back. He became unhelpful, unprofitable, but he's coming back now. He's helpful and profitable again. And so Paul encourages him that because of salvation, because of this radical change in Onesimus's life, something new in your relationship is now possible. The second thing we notice in verse 12 is I'm sending him back. And this brings us to something else that's imperative concerning reconciliation. You have to go back. (laughs) You have to go and actually seek and make effort for reconciliation. Now let me say, reconciliation is not always possible. It takes two parties. We'll, We'll see that as we look at the letter here today. But so much as it depends on you, the Bible says, be at peace with all men. You have to go back. You have to go back, Onesimus. I'm not going back there. Are you kidding? I I just barely got out of there. I ran for my life out of there. Why do you think I've come all the way as far as Rome? I'm not going back. Onesimus, you have to go back. Now that you've come to faith in Christ, Philemon's not just your ex, you know, owner and, and, and master. He's now your brother in Christ. And you guys are divided. You guys have, you've wronged him. Something is, that needs to be reconciled, you have to go back. Reconciliation requires going back. It's something that must be sought for by the offending party. Jesus would tell us this in Matthew 5 and 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's a big step for Onesimus to go back. He's putting his life on the line. 
And let's just be honest, anytime we have to go back for reconciliation, doesn't it feel like that? I feel like I'm putting my life on the line to go back into this divisive situation, this, this, this frustration, this, this division, this hurt, this, oh, all the things that, that have caused the division. Now I need to go back and try, if possible, seek reconciliation. By the tone of this letter, we see that Onesimus is not coming back with, with an attitude of pride or, you know, you're the Christian, you better forgive me now that I'm a Christian. He's not coming back with that attitude. He's coming back with humility. Even in Paul's letter, I'm not demanding this, Philemon, but I'm appealing to you. Reconciliation, you have to go back. 12b there in our verse, the second part of verse 12 says to, to Philemon, you therefore receive him. And that's needed for reconciliation as well. One has to come seeking, and the other one has to be willing to receive. You have to have a heart prepared to forgive. Reconciliation requires forgiveness. Can we just be honest? Relationships at any level require forgiveness. Now, I know you probably think, well, I really never do anything wrong. And it's usually, it's always the other person's fault. I'm always the victim, pastor. You have no idea. I'm sure, you know, but, but the truth is both sides are going to have to learn forgiveness. You're going to have to forgive and you're going to need forgiveness. It's just the way it is in human relationship and reconciliation requires it. We don't know the full extent of this division between Philemon and Onesimus, but we can, we can believe that it must have been significant. But in sending him back and in asking him to forgive, Paul also states in the latter part of verse 12, not only receiving him, but that is my own heart. Philemon, my friend, as you receive this Onesimus back, somebody who maybe you thought you'd never see again, and if you ever did, you'd punish him and you'd, you'd get your justice or whatever you may have thought. I'm asking you to receive him back, and I'm asking you to forgive him. I'm asking you for reconciliation, but not just him as a believer, him as an extension of my heart. This Onesimus has become such a blessing in my life. And this is the way we need to see one another in Christ. Listen, God is not asking you just to forgive this loser who hurt you. He's asking you to forgive this person whom he loves. His heart is wrapped up in that brother, that sister. He died on the cross for them too. He shed his blood for that sheep as well. And so when the, when, when the Lord encourages us to be forgiving, we recognize this is someone for whom Christ died. This is someone precious to the Lord. This is someone that Jesus loves. If there's any way to find reconciliation, if it requires me to forgive, Lord, I want to be willing. Help me. Help my heart to forgive. But Lord, I cannot harden my heart. We have to consider the Lord. Colossians 3.13, the larger letter that was accompanied with this letter to Philemon, he would write to the whole church, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. 
even as Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is hard, and sometimes we're hurt deeply. And, and, and yet we have, to, we have to kind of put it into the spiritual context that, listen, God has forgiven me. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. Did you deserve it? Did you earn forgiveness from the Lord? Well, no, but, but um, that's Jesus. That's not me. <laughs> that's true. Let's be honest. That's true. But, but that's the call, isn't it? That's what God is asking. That's who God is asking us to be more and more like into the image of Christ. And so Paul says, listen, I'm sending him to you, but you've got to receive him. You've got to open your heart, Philemon. You've got to give reconciliation a chance and not just Onesimus, but understand my heart comes with him. And I think that's the way we have to see, even as God sends individuals to rec- for reconciliation to us, they come with Christ's heart with them. And that gives us, I think, opportunity to embrace and forgive, even when it's difficult. He says in verse 13 and 14, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. I didn't really want to send him back. This guy's been a blessing to me here in Rome. Verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. I didn't want to keep him here. Once I found out of his separation from you, once I found out the offense, once I realized the dynamic of this, I knew that I couldn't let him stay. It could, only, it could only come from you as a matter of a voluntary heart. And that gives us kind of the, the fourth thought today about reconciliation. Reconciliation requires a willing heart. Boy, if you don't want to be reconciled, guess what? You won't be. And sometimes we go and seek reconciliation and we discover that the other party's not interested. And that's why I said sometimes reconciliation is not possible. You're seeking it, you desire it, but it's not possible. And sometimes, just to be honest, even reconciliation and forgiveness comes with certain consequences of human relationship. Sometimes the differences are so stark. Maybe there are doctrinal differences about faith. Sometimes the differences, it would require you or from the other person's perspective, they would have to compromise in some way to be totally restored in the kind of fellowship that you may have once known. And so the reconciliation, it may just be, you know what, I forgive you. And we just agree to disagree, but we're going to go forward in peace. We're not going to carry animosity, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. Maybe we're not going to enjoy the the fellowship that we once had or that we thought was hopeful because we recognize that, you know what, we're just on different paths. We see that in the scripture. Maybe most pronounced Paul and Barnabas. We see where even godly men, you know, we're just going to have to to disagree and, and part company. But we also see in Paul's later writings that he did not carry resentment and bitterness. He commends Barnabas and his ministry. And the issue of disagreement, John Mark, Paul later sends for him. In fact, we'll see later in this letter. I don't want to give away next week. We'll see that John Mark has come back and been restored in fellowship with Paul. Sometimes there's seasons for reconciliation. And and you find out later that you're able to come back and enjoy a sweeter fellowship. But the point is this. There has to be a willing heart. 
reconciliation, rest, forgiveness, peace with brothers and sisters. It has to be a desire, sincere. It has to be something for love's sake that is pursued. It's easy to just move on. It's easy to just cut them off and go forward. Put them in the rearview mirror, forget about it. It's not always easy to forget about it, though, is it? Every time we think about them, oh, oh, what they said, what they did. How could they? How could she? Oh, I should have said this. If I see him again, I'm going to remember. And you know, the, the bitter, the, oh, it just brews up, stirs up. A willing heart has to, it has to say, look, I don't want this. I want to walk in peace. I want to walk in forgiveness. Reconciliation requires this mutual desire. I want to be, <clears throat> I want to be honest with you. I see this as maybe one of the most prominent areas that Christians struggle. This this resentment and hurt, unforgiveness, things that have wounded them, legitimate things. Now, some things are not legitimate. We're just petty. But some things are true and and deep. And it it can just stifle you spiritually. You get so bound up by what's been done and, and how could this and why did they and I don't understand and they're acting like it's okay. I'm not okay. And all of these inner workings of, of our heart where we're wounded, where we're hurt. That's why this letter, even though short and sweet, is so important. I believe that's part of the reason the Holy Spirit designed us to have this in the New Testament. We're getting a real case study, aren't we? I mean, an owner, a slave, come to faith and having to be reconciled. This is a real, you know, kind of cultural revolution for the, for the church. Finding ways to go forward in peace and in love. Oh, believer, You've got to give place to these principles. There, there needs to be a willingness in your heart, if possible, to forgive, to let go of resentment, the roots of bitterness. Lord, change our hearts. Lord, change my heart. A willing heart may not necessarily be a ready heart, but Lord, I'm willing. Now you make it ready. You give me the grace that I need to walk in reconciliation. Finally here, the fifth thing. Verse 15 and 16, for perhaps, I love these two verses, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I would say this, reconciliation number five takes faith. It takes faith. Paul is trying to let Philemon know, listen, Philemon, as bad as this division was, and we don't know the, the, the whole ordeal, but you can imagine it was severe because Paul is taking such time to write this personally. As difficult and as, as horrible as the ordeal was, perhaps, and I like that word, It's kind of a side note, but let me just say, Christians, that's a good word, perhaps. 
Because Paul doesn't just say automatically this God allowed or did all of this hurt and division for, for his good purpose. We don't know. Paul, Paul doesn't want to presume on Philemon's heart, but he wants to at least call him to consider in faith. Maybe, Philemon, think about this with me. Maybe this whole ordeal God is using for good. Isn't that what God promised? That he would what, work all things together for good. Some of the biggest ordeals, maybe, perhaps. And that's the right way to look at things. We don't pretend to know all of God's ways. But we're willing to consider by faith, maybe. Lord, maybe. And we'll know more in time. Maybe as Onesimus comes back and there's restoration, things change. And, and then Philemon can say, for sure, it was this. But now by Paul, perhaps, per, perhaps this is something that God has allowed that is now being worked for something good. And that takes faith. Listen, when we get into these divisions, it can happen in marriage. It can happen in family. It can happen amongst friends. It can happen in the church. When we get into these things, they become intense they become almost overwhelming and all-consuming. It's hard to have faith. It's hard to see any good thing. But Paul is asking Philemon to keep faith. Philemon, maybe. Consider that the sovereignty of God is still watching over you. Consider that God still has you. And that he now has Onesimus. And that's better than it used to be because now there's another brother saved. Now someone has come to faith. Philemon, if you can just think that maybe, perhaps, God allowed this whole thing to go down because he wanted to do something for salvation, for the kingdom. He wanted to save a soul. And this Onesimus, through the ordeal, has come to faith. And he's coming back to you now. He's coming back. God's going to restore him back to your household. But he's more than just a servant now. Now he's a beloved brother. You know, the scripture says that when one soul comes to repentance, all the angels in heaven rejoice. You see, that takes faith. Philemon, this man that was lost is saved for eternity He's coming back. You're going to have him now and you're going to have him as a brother forever. His soul is saved. And after all, isn't that what seeking first the kingdom is all about? The kingdom, the salvation of, of our brothers and sisters, the, the, the well-being of our lives spiritually. This drama that we're in. <laughs> oh, and we're in it, aren't we? We're just in it so thick all the time. Listen, it's not going to last... 10,000 years from now, do you think the trouble that you're imagining right now at this moment, the one you walked in with, 10,000 years from now? I don't know, Pastor, I might still be troubled about that. I doubt it. <laughs> I really doubt it. All right, so you see, it takes faith. Reconciliation takes faith. You've got to kind of look to the eyes of the Lord. You've got to recognize, God, you're in control. You're my, you're, you've got your sovereign hand over my life. And certainly Paul can say, look, I, Onesimus, he ran away and he couldn't get away. He came to me and I'm sending him back in the Lord. 
So the Lord, give, give the Lord time, give the Lord some space to work and, and look with faith for ways of reconciliation in your life. He comes back to him as a believer. Listen, it's important first to be reconciled to God, but then the Bible says that having been reconciled, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and it's just a way of life for the Christian. We have to be willing to be reconciled one to another when we have division. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I just want to thank you for giving this letter to us, this little short personal letter between Paul and his friend Philemon. It's packed with so much truth that we can glean today. Truth that's really applicable in all of our lives. This isn't just a, a doctrinal statement, Lord. This is, this is like real life where Christianity meets real life. Because all of us, Lord, all of us have been hurt. All of us have hurt others. And reconciliation is such an important part of our fellowship together in Christ. And of course, Lord, it begins first and foremost with having our lives reconciled to you. We can't be right with one another until we're right with you. And as your heads are bowed here today and closing in prayer, I I do want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you need to be reconciled to the Lord. I want to pray for you. It may be that you're here today and for the very first time you just, you want to receive Christ. You realize that it was for love's sake that he came. You realize that it was for love that he died on the cross for your sin. You realize that it was for love that he wants to cleanse you and forgive you and invite you into a relationship of eternal life. And maybe your heart is ready to be reconciled. Like I said, it takes two hearts. It takes a willing heart on both sides. God is willing. God is willing. He's made the appeal for love's sake. And maybe you're ready to come and be forgiven and cleansed. Maybe you're here today and you need to come back to the Lord. You were close to the Lord. You've been reconciled. You are a believer. But your, your life today, right now, You're living in division with the Lord. You're not walking in close fellowship. You've gone your own way. Maybe you've been entangled again in something of sin. Or maybe you're just so discouraged or distraught. You've given up faith and something in your heart has been touched today. I've got to go back to the Lord and be reconciled afresh and anew and recommit my heart and life to Him. I'd like to pray for you too. If you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the very first time or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to him now, I would ask you just to raise your hand high so I can see it and I'm going to pray for you. God bless you right there in the center, the aisle, another one here and there. Over here on the aisle, far far right side of the aisle. God bless you there in the back. You as well. You, sir. A number of hearts here today. Many responding. Anyone else? Amen. Amen.
Come unto me and I will give you rest. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Anyone else, just before we pray. Amen. Amen. Another one there. God bless you. couple. Father, for these hearts responding to you today, I, I pray that you would just embrace them. It's for love's sake that you died on the cross for us and rose from the dead, Lord Jesus. It's for love that you invite us to come and be reconciled to you. And so today, these hearts, Lord, responding, we come honestly, sincerely, and we say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please reconcile me. Make peace between us. God, I need you in my life. I need you back in my life. I'm coming to you today. And I'm asking you not only to forgive me, Lord, but to restore me. Just to put your arms around me and love me, encourage me, strengthen me. Help me to live the life that you've come to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me today? Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.